If you could turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 12. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can find them on the seat uh, in front of you, below the seat. So Mark chapter 12. And as you're flipping, I want you to think, what makes you glad? What makes you glad? What gives you uh, joy or delight? So what makes you glad? What gives you joy and delight? You know, all last week we had been telling Graham that we were going to take him to the apple orchard to pick apples. So all week he was super excited, couldn't wait to go pick apples at the apple orchard. Uh, But the night before going to the apple orchard, he was having difficulty going to sleep. He didn't want to go to sleep. Um, He wanted to play with his toys. Um, So I asked him a question. I said, Graham, where are we going tomorrow? And he immediately got a smile on his face and he said, we're going to pick apples at the apple orchard. And I don't know, for some reason, that statement gave him a little bit of gladness and a little bit more comfort knowing what was coming ahead uh, that he was able to go to sleep. So I want you all to think about what are some things in your life that when you think about them, they give you gladness. In our passage this morning, Jesus asked a question that stirs up gladness in the hearts of his listeners. So let's read from Mark chapter 12. Got a long passage, three whole verses this morning. So Mark chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 35 through 37. The word of the Lord says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let's pray. God, we pray by your spirit that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. We pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. You know, the last several weeks have we been going through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been on the defense. If you remember back in Mark 11, chapter 11, Jesus' authority was challenged when a group of chief priests and scribes asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Then you may remember the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tried to trap him with a question about taxes. And they were wanting to back him into a corner. And then after that, uh, the Sadducees came up to him and gave him this wild hypothetical about the widow and her seven husbands. And last week, you remember, uh, even though it was, it, the question came with in humility, the scribe came to Jesus and asked him, What is the greatest commandment? What is the most important commandment of them all? So it's boom, boom, boom. Question after question after question. And Jesus knocks all these questions out of the park. But he's been on the defense. But now this week he goes on the offense. But the question that he poses to the crowd, it it doesn't tear down. It's not seeking to destroy or uh, to div- uh, cause division. His question is a question that, deci- that stirs up holy hunger for the true Messiah. His question produces hope and gladness to his hearers. So in our passage today, 
I want us to see that there is gladness in the God-man. Gladness in the God-man. And with that, we will see that Jesus is truly man and Jesus is truly God. So gladness in the God-man. Jesus is truly man. Jesus is truly God. First, let's look at Jesus is truly man. In verse 35, Jesus asks the crowd, he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, this isn't a question that Jesus is asking out of skepticism or doubt. He actually agrees with what the scribes believe here. He believes that the Christ is the son of David. But there's a dilemma in this question that we'll get to later. But first, this term, the Christ, the Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. Christos. Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. Mashiachs. I was really practicing this a million times watching YouTube videos to make sure I got the pronunciation right. But so Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. And Mashiach means Messiah or anointed one. So the office of Messiah is an office of deliverance. Those in the Old Testament given the term, the title of anointed or Messiah were kings or prophets or priests who were uh, expected to deliver God's people from some type of danger or some form of an enemy. We read in Isaiah 45 that the Persian king Cyrus is called the anointed or a Messiah type because he defeated the Babylonian empire so that God's people could return from exile to the promised land. King Cyrus delivered God's people from Babylonian captivity. For the Israelites, though, they believed in a greater Messiah, a promised Messiah that would usher in God's kingdom forever. And the scribes, they are right in calling the Messiah the son of David. And you may remember back in Mark 10, before the summer, that uh, Jesus had healed blind Bartimaeus. And you remember Bartimaeus had cried out to Jesus on the roadside in Jericho. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we discussed then that the son of David was a title that was given to the promised Messiah. In 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan, speaking as God to King David, says uh, in verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7. So we got Nathan speaking to David, and his words are authoritative. So it's like God is speaking to David. And Nathan says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that is when David dies, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So it's almost reading like it's talking about Solomon, but when we hear that word forever, we know it's a greater king. It's, it's more than just King Solomon. It's a promised king, a kingdom forever. It was David's offspring that God would use to usher in God's eternal kingdom. So the Messiah, 
the, the Christ, the Christos, the Mashiach, has to come from the lineage of David, the bloodline of David. So the Christ, the Messiah, has to be a man. And why is this important? Because mankind, we have a serious problem. We have a sin problem. Our representative in the garden, Adam, sinned against God. When he disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into the human race. And every human being of all time has been infected with sin and cursed, except for one. We read in Romans 5, chapter, or in Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because of our sin nature, we are sinners at heart. We are enemies of God. We deserve eternal judgment, death, and the holy wrath of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We're doomed. We're doomed. Mankind is doomed. But just like mankind fell into sin because of the actions of one man, God would provide another man a better Adam, to deliver his people from sin and death. This one man, the Messiah, the Christos, would lay down his life and take the punishment for all of God's people, for all those that would trust in God to deliver them. And who is this one man? Jesus. Jesus is truly man so that he can represent us and he can deliver us from the hell that they deserved, from the hell that we deserved. Adam, as our representative, brought sin and death to us. Jesus, as our representative, brings eternal life for us. And you might be thinking, that's unfair. Why, why, do we get, why does Adam represent us? Now, if we think about it, Adam was without sin. I think if we were to choose a representative besides Jesus, Adam would be the next person we choose. But this is just proof that we need something greater, someone better than Adam. And we read in Romans 5, again, in verse 7, we read, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the greater Adam, gives eternal life. Um, so if we're arguing we don't want Adam to represent us, then we should be arguing we don't want Christ to represent us. But we, we want Adam represents us, so Christ represents us. So we need them both. So Jesus being truly man means more than just him being able to pay for our penalty, though. It means that Jesus, the Messiah, knows what it's like to be a human. We don't have a celebrity type of Messiah that has never experienced what we have experienced in this world. As a teenager, uh, there was a show I used to watch. Uh, my friends and I watched it. Um, you may be familiar with it. It was called MTV Cribs. Uh, and on MTV Cribs, they would go to a celebrity's house, and the celebrity would show off their house, their car, their pool. I mean, just showing everything off to the TV, uh, on the TV show. And many of these celebrities lived so extravagantly that it was hard for me to relate to them. It was like they lived in another world. But Jesus is not like that. He knows pain. 
He knows sadness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. In his humanity, we have a Messiah that is like us. Because he knows pain, he knows our pain better. Because he knows sadness, he knows our sadness better. Because he has been tempted, he knows our temptation better. Hebrews 4 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help in time of need. This is our Jesus. He is truly a man. He is not unable to sympathize with our weakness. He is able to sympathize with our weakness because he has been tempted in every way that we have, yet he is without sin. This is our Jesus. Jesus who is truly man. But he's not only truly man, he is truly God. After asking the question, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Jesus continues saying in verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And here is our dilemma. And Jesus is quoting here from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in all of New Testament. It's quoted uh, over, or around 33 times in the New Testament. But in this psalm, David says, The Lord said to my Lord. And we've got to reconcile these two truths with this statement. First, that David is speaking of the coming king, the promised king, the Messiah, who is the son of David. That's the title for the Messiah, the son of David. So he is saying, he is saying, the Lord said to my Messiah. So how, how can the Messiah, David's offspring, also be his Lord? In uh, this culture, in this context, it was odd for you to say that your offspring was subordinate to you. The, the, usually the father was greater than the son. So it's odd that David would say that his offspring uh, is his Lord. But this can be reconciled because the Messiah, even though the Messiah is a descendant of David, the Messiah is also God. In Psalm 110, the Hebrew is unique here. If you were to flip to Psalm 110 in your Bibles, you would notice something different, different about the first Lord and the second Lord. There's a reason for this. There are two different words in the original Hebrew. The first Lord uh, in your Bible would be represented with all capital letters. The second Lord is going to have a capital L and three lowercase, uh, three lowercase letters. The rest are lowercase. And that's because they're two different words. So the English translators were trying to figure out how to distinguish between these two words. Uh, the first Lord is Yahweh in the Hebrew. 
Yahweh is, uh, as one commentator says, the sacred name of God, the memorial name, the ineffable name, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in the wilderness when he said, I am who I am, Yahweh. The second Lord, however, is the word Adonai, Adonai. Adonai is a, the supreme title for Yahweh. It means the one who is absolutely sovereign. It is referencing God as king. So Yahweh said to my Adonai. David is referring to the Messiah as being the one who is absolutely sovereign. The Messiah is God. Jesus, the Messiah, is Truly God. And we need Jesus to be truly God. Why do we need Jesus to be truly God? Because if he was only a man, if he was just a man, he would not be able to conquer sin and death and bear the whole wrath of God. Only God can do those things. Only God could bear the full weight of the punishment that we deserve for the sins, uh, our sins and the sins of all his people. Only God can bear that weight. Jesus, truly God, willingly takes every ounce of wrath that we deserved for our sin on the cross and rises from the grave victoriously. If he was just a man, he would still be in that grave. But because he is truly God, he is able to rise from the grave and conquer death. And because he is truly God, we can be confident that we are forgiven and that sin has been defeated. You remember early on in Mark chapter 2 when the group of friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus through the roof of the house? And do you remember what the first thing that Jesus said to the man was? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And though the scribes that were there were absolutely livid at Jesus. And why were they livid at Jesus? Because they said, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right. Only God can forgive sins. The only thing is they didn't realize that Jesus is God. Jesus is truly God and he has authority to forgive sins. And we can have confidence that he can forgive our sins and that he will forgive our sins because he is God. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus, we have our representative that can pay for our penalty. But also in Jesus, we have a God who can defeat our enemy. Jesus is truly man. And Jesus is truly God. And the crowd, it says in, at the end of verse 37, heard him gladly. This had to be sweet words to the heart of Jesus' listeners. This man, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is the God-man. <laughs> and this teaching should be sweet, to, sweet words to our own hearts. If you remember in Matthew's gospel, it begins with a genealogy. And it's in no surprise that in that genealogy of Jesus, there's David. Because David is, uh, Jesus is the offspring, the promised offspring of David. So it shouldn't be a surprise that David's in there. But after 
the genealogy, we read about the birth of Jesus. Listen to these words from Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God with us. He is not a distant God. God is not an impersonal entity that looks at us from a distance and has no care in the world about what goes on in our lives. No, our God is a personal God. When we needed a king, he became a king. When we needed a deliverer, he became a deliverer. When we needed a savior, he became our savior. He cares deeply for us. And he loves us beyond anything we can understand. And it's no, no small thing for God to dwell with us. Consider Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So listen to those words. Jesus emptied himself by becoming man. He was born in the likeness of man. He, even though he was found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death. This is humility. He became a servant. God, God became a servant of all. And then Colossians 1, For in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Our God humbled Himself. He left His glorious kingdom in heaven to be near to us, to die for us, to conquer death and sin for us. This is our God. Jesus is our God-man. And being God, He knew exactly what He was doing when He went to that cross. There was no sin that caught Him off guard. He gladly paid for them all. There was none of his people that he would be ashamed of. He was pleased to die for them all. Your sin does not surprise Jesus because he is truly God. Your life is not a disappointment to Jesus. His desire is to save sinners. He left heaven to save sinners. It is his pleasure to restore people. 
And this should stir up gladness in our hearts. No matter what we're going through, whether because of sorrow or sickness or suffering or sin, Jesus knows it and He cares. And He is working on your behalf for His glory and our good. Not an ounce of our pain will be wasted in this world. Our King Jesus, our sovereign Messiah, cares deeply for us. He cares deeply for you. Would you have gladness in Him? Would you trust in Him? Let's pray. God, our Father, we pray in the name of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of Your Holy Spirit. God, we know You are not a distant God, but You are a God that is near to us. You care for us and You care about every second of our lives. And this is shown in the life, death, and resurrection of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He emptied Himself and became a servant for us. So Lord, fill us with gladness as we think on Him, think of Him. And, and Lord, let us think of Him often. He is the source of our joy and our hope and our peace. We pray that we would place our hope and trust in Him more today. Lord, You have sustained us this week. We pray that You would sustain us another week. Help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.